0: And Business and Buckets fans, we're live, episode 29. As you can see, uh, I have actually upgraded my computer setup. I was using a MacBook Pro to edit and you know write my scripts and do all that, which is great. It's great doing it on a laptop. And shout out Jordan Leffler, my buddy who's helped me really get everything set up here. He runs his own little production company with his brother, doing a great job, photos, videos, you name it. I had asked him about the quality of life upgrade to getting uh, an iMac. I'm an Apple guy, and being able to edit on on that. So last week I got the iMac in after I recorded the show. Was able to edit around a 20 hour turn time from importing video, uploading video to YouTube, editing video to like a five and a half hour timeline, which before it was when I first started probably took me you know 30 hours. So quality of life, getting this going. You know, it's 5 o'clock on Tuesday, June 15th. I actually just finished my workday, pounding a little Red Bull action for you guys to bring you some weekly sports content before I head to Salt Lake City in the morning for Game 5 of the Utah Jazz Los Angeles Clippers series. I can't wait. Bart Scott, can't wait. Can't wait. Anyways, before this week's content, let's talk fuel Supplements. Hey, summer's here. It, you know the warm weather in Seattle's right around the corner. That means less clothing and bathing suit days in the water. Get your summertime shine with Field Supplements' Advanced Thermogenic and Feel Good Formula. Showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. So besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy. It boosts your mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite and enhance mental clarity, focus, and concentration. For optimal results, stack with counterattack and get yours at fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. We're almost in the 30s. Just out here cranking content, do what I do. Let's start with the NFL. Obviously, the NFL is a powerhouse of the sports world, a powerhouse of my sports fandom and world. So let's start there with some headlines. Mr. Uh, Danielle Hunter reworking his contract for the Minnesota Vikings, so he will stay with an option next year. He's getting paid up more money up front, so it's more team-friendly. Huge for the Vikings, especially with what Aaron Rodgers is doing. I mean, who knows? That division could be up for grabs. I'm really excited, though, as I think... Um, this is really the, the Vikings here to make moves and that's, you know, they needed to have him on on the edge. So excited for the, for the Vikings, the Eagles signed Nick Mullins. Hey, he could be the starter before the season's over. Uh, you know, I, I like Jalen hurts. He's a great story. He played for my favorite college team, Oklahoma Sooners. He's just not an NFL quarterback. I think the Eagles know that have to have quality backup on that team. Now they have Nick Mullins, who's done pretty well and I'm sure is, is, is improving and growing. So that, that would be interesting to see how the Eagles QB play turns out this year. Without Carson Wentz, right? Carson Wentz no longer in Philly. And then Le'Veon Bell just going out and airing his dirty laundry with Airy, Air, Andy Reid. He said he would never want to play for the Chiefs again. I mean, dude, you, you can't be just airing out your dirty laundry on social media That's the shit that has to be behind closed doors. That's what will keep you away from NFL executives. That's what will keep you off an NFL roster. Let alone the man's like 20. Let's see. I want to say he's 26. I know Todd Gurley's 26, which is wild that these running backs are just. We've talked about this many times, but they're just looked at as being washed items. Yeah, the man's 29, so he's a little bit older than I thought. Uh, But he's not even 30 years old. You know, he's just out here bitching. I'm sure he's not going to be on a roster. He's not on a roster now. If you want to be successful in the NFL, keep the shit behind closed doors. That's a culture thing. What happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Um, You don't see, you know, other premier running backs out there just, you know, bitching at coaching. And, and, you know, first it was the Steelers fault. Then it's Andy Reid's fault. Sometimes you just got to look yourself in the mirror. Maybe you're the fault. Um had to bring that up, ex Stealer. Fuck him, right? Uh Stefan Gilmore due $7 million and is holding out a mini camp for the Patriots. He was a premier, one of the number one cornerbacks the probably through the past five years. Had a little bit of dip in performance last year. And obviously, with the state of the, the Patriots, you know, they hate paying big time premier players. Wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself in another team uh before the NFL season kicks off? And he's still got some play. I guess we could look at up how old he is. Mr. Stefan Gilmore. I believe he's got to be right around 30. He is 30. Boom. Nail on the head. Still has some quality football left. Joe Hayden 32 can ball. I'm sure Stefan Gilmore can as well. I'd take him on the Steelers. Uh Cam Newton back at practice for the Patriots. He had injured himself, was out. You know, there's all this speculation with Mac Jones. Um, because he was the, the high highly-touted rookie uh, draft pick and basically the guy who's supposed to transform the team. And supposedly Deshaun Watson wanting to get out uh, out of Houston and go to the Denver Broncos. That's hearsay, I believe, on Chris Harris or someone's podcast from the Broncos. They had talked about that. Hey, I mean, they got Teddy Bridgewater. They got Drew Locke would Deshaun Watson be an improvement? Absolutely. Is that a feasible? I'm not sure. Nobody really knows. Deshaun Watson is probably the biggest question mark in all of football, uh, especially with the the off the field issues that he's he's going uh, and battling through. Chris Hogan going out for professional across right receiver who'd played in the NFL for uh, f- uh, a few years, probably most well known for the for the Patriots. He'd also play for the. Dolphins and some other teams. Pretty good wideout going for professional lacrosse. That's really cool news. Excited to see him uh, and how he could do. I have no idea what like the prime of lacrosse is. I grew up in a poor school that couldn't fund a lacrosse team. He's 32 years old. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I just don't know enough about lacrosse. Seems like fun something I'd like. I was just never taught it. Uh, it was never accessible to me as a child. So grow, go, Mr. Chris Hogan. And that's it. NFL. Boom. We done. One thing that we're not going to talk about that briefly is the UFC. We had UFC 263 action going down last weekend. I know that I was playing cornhole. It was sunny out on the beach. Told my boys, yo, dude, it's three o'clock. We got to catch the fights. I got some money on the fights. Didn't win any money, but I got a lot of action to see and I got a lot of shit to talk about with the business of buckets fans. Let's go. But before UFC 263, obviously there's always fights getting announced. And boy, do we got some dandies. We got Marlon Moreyes versus Marab DeShili, who trains with the champion. Uh, Marlon Merees, vet, very high quality uh, fighting, has taken some good damage and is, you know, he's usually like a one, two, or three. He's now number six, and Mirab has moved his way up after his last win against Cody Stamen to number ten. What a banger in the bantamweight division. What an awesome fight. I cannot wait for that to happen. Um, Jessica Andrade will be fighting Cynthia Cavillo. Andrade is ranked number one, Cavillo number five. And then the fight that I said we have to see, like this is the only thing that makes sense. Well, guess what? Business Buckets delivers it. That's what we get. Curtis Blades, the fourth-ranked heavyweight, versus number six, Jarzinho Rosenstrike. If that ain't a banger alert, well, I don't know what is. I wouldn't even expect that sucker to last past the first round. Uh, we have number 10th ranked Tisha Torres squaring up against number 12, Angela Hill, which is a rematch uh, from a previous fight, and it is booked for UFC 265. Sticking with women's UFC outside or you Women's MMA outside the UFC. How about Carisha Shields making her pfl debut last thursday um if you're a fight fan you watch that there's a couple to- uh, quick takeaways that we'll have first she does have amazing hand speed and power coming from boxing bigger gloves right you could see she was way quicker than her opponent which was a you know the opponent lost i think three in a row she had a three six and one record something like that um clearly had the the power advantage. But the other girl just looked to take her down. Clarissa clearly needs to work on her wrestling and takedown defense. And when she was in scramble 50-50 positions, you could tell she just had no clue of, you know, body leverage, where where to put your body, how to how to get out of those situations. What you did notice though is her willpower and heart to get out of shitty situations. I think it was the first round she gotten taken down and was down for like two and a half minutes. And there was a point where the other girl had full mount. You could just see her like screaming, like trying to buck her hips to get her off. And she was able to fight and get back on the feet, got taken it down was able to get up. So really good heart. She's an Olympian athlete. You know, the whole excitement from her is she's one of the best women boxers of all time. And she could build her brand. This came from John Jones's idea to come to MMA, right? You could build your brand. You could get paid more. She's still very young. But she's going to need a lot—I mean, a lot of experience and training before she comes to the UFC. Or the UFC will probably even table an offer. Um, but she's going to need some more PFL fights, and there's some pretty good women in the PFL. So as time goes on, it'll be interesting to she ha- see how she even matches up in that in that um, competitive level. But cool to see the idea of her coming to the UFC is very intriguing. But yeah, we we need her to have multiple two it up fights for sure. But on her on the feet, she looks like she could she could manage her business for sure. We also have Andre Feely versus Ben Daniel Pineda booked up, another massive fight. Number fifth, f- the number five ranked Vicente Luque, who's nine and one in his last ten, versus number six Michael Chiesa, who had moved up to this division and I believe is three maybe four and zero in this division since. Um, we also have. In Bellator, outside of the UFC, an interesting fight that happened this past Friday, Yaroslav Amosov defeats Douglas Lima, who, if you listen to Joe Rogan, you listen to other MMA uh, experts that talk about other promotions besides the UFC, Douglas Lima is known for being one of the baddest motherfuckers and a guy that probably could compete in the uh, UFC world. He takes an L to a very good fighter, a Ukrainian champion who's 26-0. Looks like the real deal. Defeated Lima, taking him down, grinding him down. A little bit of ground game as a Ukrainian wrestler. I'm interested to see this guy run terror and if he'll run through Bellator like Khabib did the UFC. I don't know much about this guy. As I know he's one of the better people in the in Bellator. He's only 27 years old. Let's see if he has fought any names that I'm familiar with. Literally no names that I'm familiar with. Um yeah, he came from Tech Crep FC to Bellator. He's fought since Bellator 202 since 2018. But hey, huge win for him, someone to keep an eye out on and someone who could potentially be a transfer to the UFC in the future. And then we also had the ultimate fighter. I'm going to be tuning in to tonight's episode. It comes out every Tuesday. Episode two, man, what great competition we have. They had Mitch Raposo, an undefeated fighter, take his first loss. And obviously the only loss you get in tough, uh, bearing unforeseen circumstances such as injury. He fought Ludvig Schalinian, who was on Team Ortega. Kind of an awkward guy, wasn't great in English. Ortega, great job in coaching him. I loved seeing the different coaching styles as a guy who's been a manager in sales, just learning how to adjust with different styles. I thought Ortega handled this very, very well. And yeah, he was one of the more experienced, higher ranked fighters, was able to get through Raposo. Um, you know, obviously in the Ultimate Fighter, fighters are young and, and raw. Reposo being one of the more younger ones. Um I was just very impressed. I'm sure both of these guys will go to the UFC and do pretty well. Uh, But it's great to see good quality competition. A lot better quality of fighters in episode than what I saw in episode one. But I'm ready for a little bit of shenanigans. I know they wanted this season to be serious. So I'm hoping we could get some banter between the coaches. Uh, Ortega's up 2-0. I'm going for Ortega because I want Ortega to beat Volkanovsky. So Holloway has uh, another clear-cut title shot which even if Volkanovsky, if he does win, you know, there's potential there, but there's just more barriers of entry for Mr. Max Holloway. So I'm going for my guy, Brian Ortega. But let's talk the massive UFC 263 card that is shaping lots of divisions, lots of rankings and future outcomes for fighters. In the early prelims, we had Carlos Felipe with the split decision over Jake Collier. I had picked Carlos Felipe to take the win, wasn't as impressive as i expected uh according to the ufc website which i mean if i want to look at total strikes it's the best i have but i just don't know if i believe these numbers i mean they're saying he had jake collier had 130 total strikes and significant strikes versus felipe's 94 the fact that <laughs> i guess in heavyweight every strike is a significant strike that's possible um but if that was clearly the number you know potentially jake collier should have won during the fight i thought felipe did win he was more aggressive he had more meaningful contact you know whether those stats are right or not uh neither fighter could finish each other which in a heavyweight division you know you'd like to see and expect for especially for younger uh fighters that are trying to make their way up but felipe is only 26 he's now on a three-fight win streak i'd love to see him versus tanner Bowser, who was on a slide or anyone else in the top 20 really you can't go wrong there and uh, yeah, wasn't very impressed with Collier. I, I don't believe I've seen him much before. Um, but hey, I mean, he could fight anyone in heavyweight. He was able to take Felipe's damage. He's a pretty aggressive and, and tough fighter in himself. Uh, but it was a good way to start off the early prelims. You know, my parlay was looking good. And it all came to a crashing halt as Steven Peterson beats Chase Hooper via unanimous decision you know, I'm rooting for Hooper. He's a local kid here. He's 21. He's going to massively improve each and every fight. Well, he couldn't really hang with Peterson, right? The last fight, he'd been getting his ass whooped in the ground, landed a heel hook or ankle lock, I can't remember, and was able to escape that victory. So now he's upping in the competition. He just couldn't hang with Steven Peterson. Um, as, I, as I said before, Chase only 21. He's going to grow and develop. Um, any fight is a good fight for him as he's so green. And, and, and you know, props to him. It's not like this guy sucks, right? I mean, Chase is doing well. He has some wins under his belt. I think he's two and two in the UFC. And he's also fighting in the UFC at 21 years old. That's bonkers. Um, but I think he really needs a team around him and a mentor to unlock his potential. I don't believe he he has like a nutritionist, a strength and conditioning coach. He's probably working out a gym and just figuring things out. Uh, but I think that would be a high benefit for him. Chase Hooper, you tuning in? Hey, Get a team around you. Find people that are, you know, successful. I know that you train with some high-level people that have teams around them. Uh, obviously, there's probably an investment from you, and I, you know, I don't know what the finances is, but figure it out, make it work. You could really grow your career, and you know, be a force to be reckoned with in your mid twenties. Um, you know, most people barely even get to professional fighting mid twenties. Mister Chase Hooper, a jujitsu first guy, is going to be around for a long time. Got to get them on the pod. Got to get them on business and buckets. Um, Peterson had 102 total strikes and 48 of those 102 significant. Chase had 98 total strikes, 31 of those being significant. So got um, outstruck on both of those categories. But Chase did get three de- three takedowns and Peterson got one. Obviously wanted to take it down get to the ground game. Wasn't very effective. Didn't get full control. Uh, both had two submission attempts on the ground so pretty good fight overall, tough loss for Chase, got my parlay out nice and early before the even the regular prelim started. Um, I didn't predict this fight, but we got to bring this up. Terrence McKinney with the first round knockout versus Matt Frivola, seven second knockout in his UFC debut, damn near got the fastest UFC knockout in history in his first fight. And then he goes bonkers, jumps off the cage and hurts his knee. I haven't seen if you know his knee has been seriously hurt. He said he needed to stretch it with Joe Rogan. He'll be fine, but you got to be careful on these fight celebrations. We've seen Johnny Walker. Dana White talks about it all the time. You know, I've had some big things to celebrate. It's like, yeah, let's fucking celebrate. But there's no reason to be jumping off the cage, right? I mean, that your body can only take so much damage in the first place. Let's not you know cause any damage ourselves here. Um, McKinney, though, coming out of Spokane, Washington, right? Represent two oh six. Um, He came from the LFA after I think he had two LFA wins after losing his contender series fight. So a guy that got shut down by the UFC, got a couple wins in the LFA, looked a promising comes to the UFC and seven seconds. Damn. Pretty impressive. You know, as I was sitting here with my friends watching this card, you know, obviously I have the podcast going. I'd love to do maybe like a live show, I was thinking maybe of starting a Twitch channel. I know the MMA Twitter; they have their Twitch. You guys could tune in while I live watch the fights, talk shit, give my analysis. I think that'd be something that'd be pretty good. Uh, maybe I could do it live through YouTube TV. I haven't really looked into those, but something that I'm going to do. And I am also, I, I believe I told you guys, going to Montana um for the first two weeks of july so i'm going to be doing some mobile pods so i got to get all my mobile things set up so lots of different things outside just the imac coming to business and buckets but hey i'm bringing you mother effers weekly content all, you know the main sports that i'm talking about if you have topics you have things you want to discuss want me to dive into maybe to cover your team you name it hit me up at the dms hit me up at my email you know i got that shit shared up all over my social but yeah let, let's get this shit going and then we had, uh, to headline the early prelims, P- uh, Penny Kianzad with unanimous decision over Alexis Davis. I had picked Penny in this fight, knew it was going to be a tough one. Penny with 124 total strikes and significant strikes versus Davis's 147 total, which had 132 significant. So again, UFC stats, you know, this is a unanimous decision, kind of interesting to see how that compares against the judges. Uh, but this was a very close fight. I did not think the unanimous decision was the right call and the right score. Alexis was very tough and got a takedown at the end of the fight. Um, you know, Obviously, that wasn't even enough to get around from the judges. Penny was more aggressive, seemed like she had landed better significant strikes. She is now on a four-fight win streak and really entering her fighting prime. Hey, maybe a rematch with Macy Chiasson, who she had fought on Ultimate Fighter, or anyone ranked higher would be fun. She now moves up from 11 to number 10, and obviously Alexis Davis outside the rankings, but she's going to be a force, two with these ladies right at the edge of the top uh, 15 or lower. And then we got the prelims. This fight was... I knew it would be a good fight, but I didn't have experience in watching Mr. Mosar... Yves Loev, who unanimous decision victory over Hakeem Dewudo, who I also had picked in defeat. Like I said, I don't think I've ever seen Evloev fight before, but holy shit did he perform against a very tough 15th ranked Hakeem Dewudo at the time. Uh, he was clearly better and sharper than Hakeem on the feet in the early rounds, which is impressive because is, you know, he, he he wants that smoke. He ain't no slouch. Uh, but Movistar had 193 total strikes to Dewudo's 60 and he took Hakeem down 9 times as well. You know, that he gave me glimpses of what we had seen recently with Islam Mokchev. Right, we just talked about this guy in Bellator. You're always going to have these guys that are just bear down, wrestle you out, grind you out and not let you manage too much, but he looked good on on the striking game as well. I'd be interested to see, you know, some more info. I might go on Fight Pass and watch some of this guy's last fight. Let's see where he trains out of. If it's in the US. I mean, obviously I looked this up before the fights, but after watching the fight, I'm more intrigued. Let's see. American top team. So he's in American top team now. Yeah, no no surprise. He was a master of sports in Greco Roman wrestling. Whatever the fuck that means. That sounds like a dope thing to have under your name though. Uh but yeah, watch out. This guy is going to be a force in that featherweight division, which is a very stacked division in the first place. Um but yeah, in the third round, Hakeem DeWudu had gotten desperate. And this is where he was the typical Hakeem that was a very aggressive, um, you know, he wasn't able to get into his usual flow until the third round, but he was landing as he had to be aggressive to try to win the fight. Uh, but it was too little too late. Uh, he, uh, Evloev is undefeated. He's only 27 years old. And the next opponent's going to be a big jump in competition. DeWoodo was the better better name I've seen on his resume. And he cleaned house there. But I mean, we look at the rankings in this class like it ain't no joke. Let's see. We got Alex Caseras now ranked fifteenth, who was unranked. Shane Burgos moves down to fourteen. Avloev is thirteen. Bryce Mitchell, the Twister, ma- the Twister Master, thirteen. Sadiq Yusuf, another young stud. Giga Kaj- uh, Chikadzi, another young stud. I mean, dude, this class, you know, Edson Barboza, Dan Ige, Arnold Allen, Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, Korean Zombie, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. Andre Volkanovsky like I want to see everyone fight everyone in this weight class and I'm so happy Holloway's fighting a year who's been on the shelf for fucking ever now we just need Zabit to get in we need some Zabit action and Zabit's not even on the rankings anymore what the hell is going on with Zabit let's see if I could get anything with a quick google We'll fight in next three months. I just want to see. I want to see the best people fight, and Zabit, It's been way too damn long. Anyways, um, yeah, both fighters have plenty of fighting options in this stacked class. Uh, again, Avloev up one spot to number thirteen, and Dewudo is now not ranked. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dewudo, you know, obviously bad stylistic matchup here, but I'm sure he'll be a force and his future still looking bright as they're both young fighters. And then back to the woman's side of things. I mean, this is about as 50 50 as a fight as you could get in my opinion. Uh, but the girl that I did not pick got the split decision victory, Lauren Murphy split decision victory over Jojo Calderwood. Yeah, I mean, very close fight the whole way through. UFC stats again, Joanne landed 153 total and 123 of those being significant versus Murphy's 121 total and 80 significant. You know, Murphy got a takedown and that must have been the difference in the judging as I had Calderwood winning. Honestly, I thought she did enough on the, uh, on their feet. I thought she had the bigger damage strikes. Um, You know, the way the judges work, I, I give you guys the strikes just to give you an idea where the balance is. But that means nothing, right? It's round versus round. So three rounds, they're literally picking. I don't care how dominant you are in the first round. If you lose the next two rounds, you're not going to win. But where it gets interesting is if you're dominant one round, pretty even, and then not, you know, pretty even. Like they could give you a unanimous decision. That's why I, so many times on unanimous, I don't really agree watching the fight myself. And also, a lot of these judges aren't fighters, so it just it's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the takedown must have been enough. Again, scoring for me, if you're getting the takedown and you're on top, yeah, take uh, control time is important. But you have to be throwing shit and landing shit. So, yeah, a little confusing for me. Um, at 37 years old, Lauren Murphy's on a five-fight win streak. I would love to see her potentially fought, fight Vivian Arohu, uh, who we had just seen fight. I think that would be an, a, a very good fight for both fighters. Um, and then very tough loss for JoJo. She's lost three of her last five. Hey, maybe give her Alexa Grasso, who she hasn't fought, that's in the rankings. Now that we look at the rankings, Murphy is ranked 13, and JoJo not ranked. Very, very tough loss for JoJo. You know, I always hate seeing potential fighters that could keep moving up in the rankings drop to older people that are almost on their way out. But hey, props to the older people. 37 years old, Lauren Murphy getting working and coming into the rankings. So, hey, you know... Agent fighting is just a fucking weird thing. It's not like most sports, that's for sure. I want to immediately say this next fight should probably be fight of the year. But that's just a motion off last weekend. And it really wasn't that. I mean, it was a close fight. But a fight of the year is, in my opinion, more of a close fight. So we had Brad Riddell with unanimous decision over Drew Dober. I had picked Drew Dober, took another L. Picking fighting is not easy, right? Especially, I haven't watched everybody. I haven't really watched Brad Riddell. I think I watched him once. And Drew Dober is the toughest name on his resume for sure. And Brad Riddell just went to work, man. You could tell he's in a good training camp, training with Izzy and squad. Amazing fight from start to finish, like I had expected. I told him my friends, shut the fuck up, tune in. This is going to be a banger. Uh, The first round was very close. Both fighters delivering damage i thought dober potentially looked like the fresher fighter right um as the fight goes on you could see him slow down and brad riddell had the better speed and was able to figure out their motions to find the openings but dober had the power and you know it looked like things were going to go well uh riddell was able to start opening up on dober though who really showed his chin man that guy has a fucking chin he was taking bangers dude I was telling my—I mean, all of us were just like, "Holy shit!" I'd be knocked out like the tenth time over. And you could see Dober's legs give up a little bit. You could see him, you know, get to La La Land. Uh, But he also rocked Brad Riddell, where he was weak in the legs and looked like he could potentially uh, finish the fight um, before before we got to the judges' decision. But Riddell was definitely the fast, faster, crisper uh, fighter after round one. He had landed 113 total strikes versus Dober's 78. And a lot of that, to me, had to come with, you know, as conditioning became a factor, as damage became a factor, Brad was able to find the openings. He was just a little bit quicker, right? As Dober would throw a big power punch, you know, Riddell's countering with this left that hits, and then Dober misses, right? Or they're both throwing slugfest at the same time, Radell's hits first, so then Dober's doesn't follow through. Um, that's the only reason why. I mean, both of these fighters were very aggressive. Brad had also had five takedowns, take which you know if you're Drew has gotta eat at you, especially after the Islam loss. You know, getting these guys grinding you out, taking you out, wasting your energy, it's gotta piss you off. But that's MMA, man. It's MMA. There's wrestlers. I'm from a wrestling background. I totally understand. I'd be wrestling too, because your chin, your temple, whatever people are hitting can only take so many shots. Um Brad had called out Gregor Gillespie, who has had a very impressive run up into the rankings. You know, I'm all for that. I don't know if they're just going to jump him up to Gregor Gillespie after this fight. But if not, how about Diego Fieta, which would be very fun, who's off a couple losses. So lots of good action for Mr. Brad Riddell. Uh, He's on a seven-fight win streak and is now ranked number 13th as Dober falls out of the rankings. And when we look at Dober, I mean, tough fucking loss. Uh, Brad Riddell is the real deal. I think he's going to keep moving up the rankings. He's just getting beat by good talent. Same with Islam. Islam's going to be a guy that's in the top five. Riddell is probably going to be right outside the top five. The lightweight class is stacked. Druber's still, uh, Druber. <laughs> Drew Dober still got a, a bright um, future, though. As we look, he is only 32 years old, just in his prime as well. Sometimes you just get f- matched up against guys that are just on that next level, and I think this was the case this uh, past couple fights for Mr. Dober. And that wasn't even the main event yet. We head into the main event and more crazy shit is going on in the pay-per-view. You could hear the fucking noise that was going on in Gilbert, Arizona or Glendale, Arizona. Let's see. Let's see here. Gilbert Glendale. Gilla Gilla River Arena. The reason I'm pulling this up Let's let's see Glendale, Arizona. Okay, so this is the Coyotes Stadium. Ah. I was going to say there's this big ass arena out here in Glendale and I know the Suns don't play there. I didn't think any team plays there. It's the Arizona Coyotes Stadium. That makes so much more sense. Uh, Because they were saying the fans was loudest at this venue than they have been since fans have been back, which is pretty impressive. Um, And I was just wondering, like, where the hell do these people come from? What's this stadium doing if there's no professional teams or college teams playing out of here? But it's the Yelts, so that makes sense. Looks like a concert venue as well. Uh, But supposedly, people are going bonkers. And then this happened. Paul Craig, first-round TKO at Jamal Hill, who Paul Craig, older vet, more experienced, Jamal Hill, young up-and-comer, massive power, and Jamal Hill was the, the uh, favorite. I had gone with Jamal Hill as well. I knew, though. I knew I knew this. Was, I, I actually had picked Paul Craig, did my research, and then went with Jamal. Fell with the Vegas odds, I guess. Um, but Hill never got to show off his power in striking this fight. Because the vet, Paul Craig, said, fuck that. I don't want none of this. And he showed everyone in Vegas odds what's up, as he was the underdog at plus 235. He got a, a hold of Hill, and that was all she wrote, man. I mean... He destroyed Hill's elbow and arm. Like it was literally lint biscuit just sitting in there in his arms. You could see his shoulder, like this part popping through. So his, el- or not his shoulder, his elbow. So his elbow must've been good. This must've been dislocated. Like, I don't even know. It looked like a spaghetti string in there and the judge didn't call it. Uh, so he pounded his face, got the TKO and you know, there was lots of beef before this, um, fight, you know, supposedly like you watch the embedded. I mean, I don't know what's natural beef anymore. Is the UFC is becoming like the WWE, where everyone wants to fake beef to try to, you know, improve viewership numbers and build their brand and build the fights brand. Um, but yeah, fucking Jamal gets his arm fixed up, goes out and parties with Paul Craig later. Guy's savage, acted like nothing happened. He's like, oh, my arm shredded. Who cares? He sits there after the, the fight, yo, dude, my arm shredded. Can someone can fix it up? Like the coolest guy with the craziest injury I've ever seen. He's a tough mother trucker for show. Um, but, anyways, Craig with four wins and a draw in his last five. He has now moved up two spots to number 12, and Jamal Hill is still ranked at number 15. Where do they go from here? Well, how about a little C- uh, Craig versus Ryan Span action? I'm sure that Paul Craig ain't about that smoke with Ryan Span either, tried to take him down. Uh, or maybe even Misha Serkinov who is ranked. Um, I would like to predict what's going to happen with Hill next, but he's going to take some time, right? You got to get that shit recovered, work on your takedown defense, work on your ground game, because you can't just live with the striking game in the UFC unless you're fucking probably fighting in the heavyweight division. Then we had Bilal remember the name Muhammad with unanimous decision over Damian Maya. one of the more predictable fights of the card. You know, this was exactly how I, I expected Right, Muhammad going to be overly conservative as, as most opponents of Mayas are, with the knowledge of Mayas amazing jiu-jitsu and ground game. So, you know, he was conservative. He picked his spots. He didn't overreact. He didn't put himself in a position to get taken down, and he was able to win the fight. Um, supposedly, Dana says this is the end of Damian Mayas. His contract's up. He's still in the rankings. You never know, but you know he's older, past his prime for sure. Bilal had 92 strikes versus Maya's 23. Um, I don't think this boosts Bilal's stock too much. Besides, it's another win. Uh, He has won five and had a no contest out of his last six. I wouldn't mind seeing him up against Neil Magny, which is definitely a step up in competition. I mean, you could consider Leon Edwards, but that fight never really happened. It was a no contest. Um, That'd be a great measuring stick. He lost to Jeff Neal, who's a pretty similar fighter, Uh, Neil Magny had beat Jeff Neal recently in his history and Bilal's history. Uh, but I think that'd be a great measuring stick for him to see if this kid's really, really as good as people think or not. Uh, Bilal gets Damian Maya's number ninth ranked, uh, fighter in the division now. And Maya moves back to 12 or 11. I would love Maya just to be out of the rankings. You know, I bitched about it before. Um, but yeah, he's still at number 11, taking someone's spot, but yeah. Probably the end of Damian Maya. I mean, I talk a lot of shit because he's 43 years old and, yeah, 23 strikes. Like, you know, he's going to try to get a takedown unless he fights lower competition that just walks into that. Like, everyone knows you're a fucking jiu-jitsu king and wizard. I don't want to deal with it, right? Um, but, yeah, amazing career. I mean, it's not like Damian Maya got swept off the mat, right? I mean, he, he battled for sure. And then out of the three big-time fights, we got a five-round fight just because Nate Diaz is on the fight. That's why. We had Leon Edwards with the unanimous decision over Nate fucking Diaz. This is exactly what fight fans wanted, right? Nate was able to hang just enough through the first three rounds um, and made things interesting late. Leon was able to show things though. We we saw him take some hits. His chin, he is durable. He has the cardio to make it through with Nate who has amazing cardio. And Nate tried to force Leon into a lot of action. He's sticking his ass out. He's you know, trying to do whatever he can to get Leon to, to storm on. And Leon was a smarter fighter. He, he, he wasn't going to fall for that. You know, right as he'd stick his ass out, he'd come with a big fucking like bull stampede, uh, towards Leon. But yeah, I mean, great patience against a very dangerous Nate Diaz. Leon didn't get a show a lot of his high level striking that I think he has. Um, you know, he wasn't in his normal flow because he doesn't want to get caught in a slugfest. He knows Nate's chin is like undefeated, And you could see the respect that Leon provided and he didn't want to get, you know, in a battle of just slugfests. So where does Leon go from here? Well, I think that they're going to have an Usman versus Colby, which is fine. He should get the winner of that, which should be Usman, which I don't know. Colby's a tough son of a bitch. You got to watch out. Um, So yeah, if not, how about Nate versus Colby? Leon gets Usman. Nate could get Colby. That would be badass uh, supposedly him and Nate and D, uh, Dana had talked about him fighting in the next four to six months. So anything is possible. Um, but yeah, what a great fight for fight fans. You, he, you gotta hang out the whole time. Watch Nate Diaz's resurrection. I mean, he had Leon done, right? If he would have in the last 20 seconds kept throwing on Leon, he probably could have finished him, which, you know, I don't know how exhausted or tired he was, but he definitely should have. Um, but yeah, great fight. I don't think Leon really got to show out. His stock goes up. Nate's stock never goes down. So, as a fight fan, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And then we get to probably the most intense thing of the evening Brandon Motherfucking Moreno with a third round submission over Deveson Figueiredo. Me and my friends call him the assassin. He just looks like a hitman. He's the red hair, looks insane, always talking shit, flipping people off. Well, in the months leading up to the fight, Moreno talked about having confidence after feeling him out, feeling his power, going some rounds with him. And yeah, I got that a little bit. Like, yeah, okay, I feel you. But I just don't think you're going to have, like, I just, you know, I thought Figgy was here, Moreno was here. But he did show massive improvement. Um, I can't believe that Moreno could perform at that level. He was faster, sharper than Davidson, which is saying a lot. And he's still improving. I mean, the guy's 27. He's not even in his fighting prime. And he's on an impressive streak. I'm not sure what, you know, this flyweight division has been up in the air for a long time. Cejudo is going to save it. He bailed on it, tried to get paid more money. Uh, Divisón became the new champ, and now he's dethroned. Uh, Potential moves for Cody Garbrandt coming over and fighting Divisón. You know, both fighters on losses. I don't know if that's possible. So I know that Figueredo's camp's you know, battling for a trilogy right away, which I'll tune in, absolutely. I think Moreno definitely looks like the better fighter thus far. He beat him in short notice. He beat him with full camp and looked a lot better at all levels. Um, So I'm not sure if that's really going to be the move. Um, He has fought Askar Askarov before. Uh, It was a draw in 2019. That would be a great fight. Askarov's on a, a pretty impressive tear of his own. Um, so lots of different things that can happen in the flyweight division, but what a heartwarming story here. This is like the true underdog Rocky story. This is what sports is all about. After being cut, losing in the ultimate fighter, fighting his way back into the UFC, building himself up in the flyweight division, getting a chance at the title and making the most of it. He wasn't really supposed to get that chance at the title, a short notice. Uh, he was able to get it, made the best out of it, got a full fight camp and went to fucking work. And viva la Mexico. Mexico has a UFC champion. And what an awesome story. It almost brought you to tears. And then you see him go back to his gym, Tijuana, and people dancing, partying. Amazing moment. It was great that the fights, uh, the fights had the fans back and other fighters got to be a part of that. Bravo, bravo, Moreno. I didn't believe you could do it. I also just was so high on Figueiredo. But he's going to be tough to beat. He could have that title for a long time. And I'm not sure, you know, how easy of a weight that is or if he wants to move up, but definitely intriguing. Maybe Figgy, if he doesn't get the rematch, you could fight Alexander Pintoya, who is higher in the rankings. Tough fucking fighter. That would be a great fight. But we will see. We will see. And then we had the main event of the evening. Israel Izzy Adesanya with a unanimous decision over Marvin Vittori. No surprises here for me. Um, You know, it did look a lot like the last fight. Izzy was able to dominate with 122 total strikes versus Marvin's 91. You know, I'm not sure if this was the soul-taking performance that Izzy wanted. He wanted to end him and say, hey, I'm clearly the better fighter. He was able to do better on the ground, was able to reverse some of the things Marvin had done. Uh, But, you know, it wasn't like, holy cow, like you just straight destroyed this guy. Um, You know, Vittori complaining about the scoring I want to know who the hell this guy's agent and manager is because get him out the fucking press. He cannot talk shit. He's always complaining about something. Oh, last time I thought I won this time. The judges are idiots or someone needs to teach him how to score and MMA. But this guy just needs to get out of the, the spotlight of a microphone and just get to work because, um, you know, it's not like Marvin's trash, right? It's not like, Oh, he can't be Izzy. Izzy's like a generational talent in my opinion. But just don't talk about it, right? We don't need to hear you talk about it. I would like to see him um, continually to improve. Um, and he has to be able to improve on his on his striking game because you can't just win by taking people down because he's the wrestler that takes people down and doesn't do a lot once he gets, takes them down, right? High-level people like Khabib, like Islam, like that guy I was just talking about, they take you down and do damage. So if, if Marvin wants to live through that, take people down but do some fucking damage, right? Learn how to throw those strikes. Um, Vittori had four takedowns and hardly did anything with them. Izzy was able to get up. You could definitely see some improved defense. So now the stage is set for the fight I've been waiting for in this division. Israel Adesanya rematch with Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker, and I can't wait. If there's one fighter in this division that could beat Israel Adesanya, it is Robert Whitaker with this new vengeance, this comeback train uh, that he is on. I just, I, I just can't fucking wait. Uh, that's going to be an awesome fight. If I had to pick right now, I'd probably pick Robert. Right? I picked Robert the first time he fought Izzy. Izzy cleaned house with him, uh, but I think this 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 man has really leveled up since then. He is also a young fighter that has a lot of improvement left. So yeah. Can't wait for that shit to happen. And Izzy asked for it. I love it. I love that Izzy's down for a challenge. Uh, uh, Vittori moves down one ranking to number four uh, from the previous number three ranking. But yeah, UFC 263, Nate Diaz, Leon Edwards, Israel Adesanya. We got a Mexican champion, the early prelims, Paul Craig shredding Jamal Hill's arm. I mean, this was an awesome fight card, and it definitely excites me for future potential fights and some of the fights that were announced that we had talked about. But this Saturday, fights ain't over. We got some more fights. We got a fight night in the UFC uh, Apex. We got in the prelims. No, is this prelims or main card? I think it's the main card, actually. We got Matt Brown with a 24-18 and 18 record. He's 40 years old versus Diego Lima, 17-8 and eight record and 32 years old. couple little vets, a little bit of vet action on display to start the main card. Both fighters coming off losses. Uh, Matt Brown has a brand brown belt in BJJ, and he's also an orthodox fighter. Mr. Lima is also a brown belt in BJJ, and both of these guys have been Ultimate Fighter alums. Matt Brown definitely an OG. I think Diego Lima was on the Rampage Jackson season, one of my favorite uh, seasons, him and Rashad Evans. Both fighters really need this win to stay on the roster. That's why I bring this up. A couple guys kind of on the downward Spiral. I mean, Matt Brown, I don't know how much he has left on his contract. It's got to be closer to one of his last fights. I believe he had another fight booked before this as well. But hey, I'm all for it. I'll be tuning in. And then we have Marlon Vera, the 15th ranked fighter, sporting a 16-7-1 record at 28 years old, versus Davey Grant, who has a 13-4 record at 35 years old. Uh, Vera had lost to Grant in 2016 via unanimous decision. Grant is on a three-fight win streak himself, and Vera is coming off a loss versus Jose Aldo. You know, I don't expect either of these fighters to be in the rankings short term. I'm going to go with uh, Marlon Vera in this one. Oh, by the way, I'm picking Diego Lima in the fight before. I think he's just got enough youth and energy to get the job done, and I think Marlon Vera has improved more. And I don't know a lot about Davy Grant to be honest. Uh, but I, I just, I'm not high on either of these guys in the Benchpoint point division. It's a very deep class and that, you know, obviously Cheeto gets the win. He stays in the rankings. Uh, but yeah, I don't expect him to clean house and move up the rankings. Vera is a black belt in BJJ. Grant himself is a purple belt. And both of these guys are Ultimate Fighter alums. Uh, Marlon Vera was in like Ultimate Fighter Mexico or something like that. But yeah, I'm going with Vera because of the matchups against the better competition lately. I think that's helped him improve to level up. And he's also younger, the younger and fresher fighter. That gives us Alexi, the boa constrictor Olenik, the 15th ranked fighter, sporting a, uh, this is wild, a 59 15 1 record at 43 years old, versus Sergei the polar bear Spivak, who has a 12 2 record at 26 years old. Alexei is on a two fight losing streak. He's a fourth degree black belt in BJJ, crazy for a heavyweight. And he also came from Bellator. Sergi is an orthodox fighter on a two-fight win streak. When it comes to the pick, though, I'm going to go with Sergi. I think the youth here, again, it's hard for me to pick fighters in their 40s. And, you know, I keep getting proven wrong. Glover Teixeira, to name one of them. Um, But, yeah, as long as he avoids the ground, I think he could get the job done. He's definitely trending up and has fought some bangers lately. Uh, but Alexi, I mean, that record, that experience, fourth degree black belt, you don't want to fuck with them. It's going to be a 50 50, but I'm going to put uh, pick Sergi, probably put him on my parlay. So book it up. And then the main event, when this shit got announced, I literally got like a little like felt like a little child sugar rush. We got Chan, the Korean zombie, Sung Jung, the fourth ranked fighter with the 16 and six record at 34 years old. Versus Dan 50K Ige. He's called 50K because he's getting that fight of the night bonus. 15-3 and record. Number 8th ranked fighter at 29 years old. Well, Ige has a black belt in BJJ and brown belt in Judo. He was also a D3 wrestler. Ige won his last fight in 7 of his last 8. And then Korean Zombie, as we all know, lost to Brian Ortega. That's why Ortega is getting the title shot. I believe that Korean Zombie though has been in too many wars, and Dan Ige is going to win the fight via knockout. I think it's going to be a second, potentially third round knockout because it's the main event. They get five five rounds, but this is a banger alert. This is must see TV. I cannot wait for this fight. Uh, the Korean Zombie though he has been in battles, he could take some damage. He has a chin, um, unless you get a spinning elbow like Yair Rodriguez. But I think Dan is just on a high trajectory right now. And even though the Korean zombie is only 34, again, you can only take so much damage. So I'm trending him down for that. Um, but outside of the loss versus Calvin Cater, this is the toughest opponent yet for Ige. So that definitely makes things intriguing. And he can leapfrog himself right into contention after this fight. So I think he's hungry. He wants another 50K. So yeah, let's let, we want that smoke, Danny Ige. Bring it out. Bring him out. And then upcoming next, another Apex fight night. Headline by Cyril Gane and Mr. Volkov himself. This was a fight that after Gane won his last fight, I wanted to happen. They made it happen. This is what the fight fans need. The winner of this fight going to be right into that heavyweight contention as well. Cyril Gane training with Ngannou. That'll be intriguing. And I like Gane's style for uh, long-term contention odds. Other than that, we're going to jump into some playoff basketball. I'm going to game five tomorrow. You know I'm ready. So let's cha- chat NBA. Well, in the NBA, we have lots of action. Outside of the playoff series, Nate Jor, Jorgrin, hard to say. If I heard someone say it, I could say it. But looking at the words, regardless, he's fired from the Pacers. They're making moves. One year, tough year. Uh, LeBron changing his number from 23 to 6. Supposedly, attempted at this with... Uh, um with Space Jam. I haven't watched Space I don't think Space Jam's out yet. But he's back to number six. He said, fuck this, lost in the first round. I gotta change my number. I'm not too sure the meaning behind that, but it's it's newsworthy when the GOAT changes his number. Jeff Green and Harden out for game three. Now Green came back game four, and Harden is expected back for game five tonight. Which is a two-two series, and as long as there's no issues in pregame warm up, he's good to go. It's five fifty-six. The game, I believe, started at five thirty. So let's tune in and see if he's officially playing. Milwaukee up twelve early. James Harden, eight minutes, 0 for two, one turnover. Yeah. I bet on the Bucks just because without Harden or Kyrie, that's just not enough. The the rest of our team's dog shit. And it didn't look like KD could handle himself. He'd have to, like, point guard the team. So, yeah, game five in Brooklyn. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. How about my guy, the Stifled Tower, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year for his third time winning the award. It ain't fun once or twice. Sometimes you got to do it three times. I mean... The Jazz aren't the most televised team, ESPN, TNT. But if you watch basketball, the Gobert effect is the real fucking deal, ladies and gentlemen. The reason the Jazz could get so many threes is because they could just anchor Rudy Gobert down low, and anyone gets into the lane, he could close the distance with his long ass wingspan and make you alter your shot, right? The Gobert effect is a real deal. If you watch basketball, he's clearly Defensive Player of the Year. Ben Simmons, oh, I'm the defensive player of the year. No, you're not, man. No, you are not. Love to see it. Let's keep going, Rudy. Bring us to the Western Conference Finals. Bring us to Phoenix and onwards to the NBA championship. The NBA all-team defenses were announced. I believe I got an update on my phone for NBA all Teams, so I'll announce that as well. All-team defense, we got Giannis, Rudy, Draymond, Drew Holiday, and Ben Simmons. No surprises for me there. And then on the second team, we got Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Matisse Theibel, and Kawhi Leonard. No surprises there. Those are straight defenders, ladies and gentlemen. So this will be breaking news for me as well. Let's look at the NBA, all-NBA teams. Do-do-do. Giannis, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, and Kawhi Leonard for the first team. Giannis was the only unanimous first-team selection receiving 100 of a possible 100 votes, while Jokic got 99 and Curry 98. Why Jokic only got 99, it blows my mind, but hey. Second team, Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, LeBron James. Rudy Gobert, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Bradley Bill, and Kyrie Irving for the third team. Well, immediately, as a Jazz fan, Donovan Mitchell on no teams. That's a snub. It's a snub. You see what he's doing in the playoffs? This man's the real deal, holy-filled, and is a superstar in my book. Well, outside of the bullshit awards that make no sense on the vote sometimes, the NBA is looking at a rule change. And a rule change that I'm very intrigued. The league wants to limit the ability of players like crafty stars. This is their example is James Harden, Luca and Trey ice Trey, who lean backwards and sideways after their shots to initiate contact and get to the free throw line. Like, do we need to do a lot of research here? It's pretty self-explanatory, especially on the three point shooting. Chris Paul, the other night he, uh, someone was trying to deem up but he got pissed and just threw the ball up, got straight to the line. So there's different things that are so tic-tac-y that just favors the offense. I love the idea of changing up a little bit, but I can't say if I'm happy f- pro or against until I see the rules because it could get worse, right? They over, o- they always over-engage on the change and they make it too aggressive that it alters the game worse than the, the, the rule was. The rule is trying to fix it and it's usually worse with the new rules. So we'll see. The Blazers are interviewing Nets assistant coach, Mike D'Antoni, for the head coaching job. Y'all been around the block in the NBA world. Mike Tony, D'Antoni's been around the block. I think that'd be a good fit, though, with the Lillard and squad in Portland. But let's talk the series, right? We got Bucks next. Bucks-Nets going on right now. But let's talk game three that happened after last week's episode 28. You know, this is really what I expected in the series. You know, first game in Milwaukee, the Bucks stepped up, stepped up defensively, and they weren't given the net space. It's what you got to do. They held Brooklyn to 36% shooting from the field and 25% from three. They didn't shoot very well themselves, but that's kind of the, the tempo and style or flavor of the game they need to beat Brooklyn, uh, especially a must-win game. I mean, Brooklyn went up 3-0, like, smell you later. And this was before the, the Kyrie injury. KD had 30-10 and 10 on 28 shots, so they're able to get up in his grill, make an inefficient night for Mr. KD. And then Kyrie had 22 points, 22 points, but outside of that, the team did not get much help the rest of the way. The rest of the team combined for 31 points, which is not going to get the job done. I mean, that's one more point than KD had himself. So, tough loss for, or tough game for the Nets game 3. Milwaukee, the Bucks looking uh more like the real deal at home, which, you know, I don't Try to overreact in the first two games because at home you're supposed to win the two games, right? So the Nets won the first two games, but the way in the, the manner they did it, I thought that they could potentially win in five or sweep. But you got to give Milwaukee one, right? You got to expect Milwaukee to win their their game one at home, uh, especially down 02. You go up, th- go down 03. Yeah, you're, you're fucked. So I- I'm not too scared about that. The Bucks dynamic duo, the former MVP, Greek Freak. Put up 33 and 14 on 31 shots. So again, he wasn't that efficient, but was able to deliver. And then Chris Middleton with 35 and 15, an efficient 35 and 15. That's 15 rebounds. uh, We're able to help get the job done for Milwaukee in a must-win game. Our guy Drew Holiday with only nine points on 14 shots. Not quite the night you would want. He's got to be better. If they want to win this series, no matter what the fucking injury situations are with Harden or Kyrie... Right, Kyrie is supposedly out for the rest of the series. Harden is back tonight. Like We'll see. Um, they need to have this man at full capacity. They need this guy to be putting up double-digit points, and they need him to be diamond out the ball to Giannis. Right, Giannis is making too much happen off the ball. It's not natural flow. It's kind of like iso ball. So game four, back in Milwaukee. The storyline of this game, though, was Kyrie Irving. He was going out after a nasty ankle sprain, and I mean nasty ankle sprain. Uh, the MRIs were negative, but supposedly news today he isn't expected back for the rest of the series. So the pressure was on for Mr. James Harden. And then this morning, they said as long as he was good in pregames, he's starting. He was starting, so at least they have him back. Depending on his health, that, that could be enough without Kyrie. But this makes it a series for sure. Uh, really, you know, in this condensed season, it's really going to come down to health for any team. Whoever's the healthiest, in my opinion, wins. Everyone has an equal shot. Uh, but the Bucks had their first round, well-rounded round, game with five players in double digits, led by former MVP Giannis, with 34-12 and 12, 20, on 26 shots. He went one from five from three and five for 10 from the free throw line. I like that he's aggressive, right? You have to be aggressive. You got to win. We're talking game four at home. One of five from three obviously needs to work on that. But I don't know if I like him shooting five threes, to be honest. And then 5 for 10 from the free throw line. You got to be better, right? There's the memes on Giannis taking forever at the free throw line, taking the full time. Um, but he he's just got to be efficient if he wants to win a championship. He should have known that when signing with Milwaukee, and maybe he is working on his craft and it's just not there. Or maybe injuries. I mean, everyone's beat up. Um, But yeah, if he wants to win a championship, easy answer. You got to be more efficient. You got to shoot better. Or you need more help from your teams like Drew. You need Drew putting up 20 points. In this game, KD had 28 points on 25 shots, so not much help from the team. And when you get 28 points on 25 shots without Harden or Kyrie, it's a little concerning. So game five on my parlay, I ended up putting in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, Harden was 50-50. I didn't know that he was going to play. He ended up playing, but we just looked in and the Bucks were up early. Um, but there's just a lot of health issues outside of... Kyrie and Harden, you got Conley, Joel, CP3 with the shoulder, Trey Young. It's just tough after that bubble season that was late in the year to have a condensed season. So again, whoever's the more healthy team, I'm going to give the nod to uh, a bright way with the NBA championship. So yeah, 2-2 Game 5 is happening right now. So let's talk Hawks-Sixers. The last we had talked was after Game 1. I saw a lot of overreactions after Game 1. Even with Joel not being 100%, I expected a big game two from Philly. You're at home. You can't lose both home games unless you're the Clippers and somehow win that series, which is bonkers. But most of the time, you lose the first two at home. like You're probably on the way out. So game two, the team shot really well. 53% from the field, 46% from three. And this came off of the great defense that they played. defense can lead to open shots, lead to great offense. Uh, They forced 18 turnovers. Joel looked fresher in this game. He had 40 and 13 and then Seth Curry. They said, Hey, we need you to get buckets because Ben Simmons can't. And he did. He had 21 points. Literally. I don't think he had anything else in the box score that night And Tobias Harris. Consistent night in night out is the number two option 22 and six. He did it on 19 shots, but you have to put up points. It's a playoff game. Efficiency is harder to come by. And then Ben Simmons game two at home and a, my opinion a pretty much must win game four points oh and two from the charity strike like bruh this is supposed to be a superstar you're supposed to be the future of this team oh from two from the free throw line is a point guard and four points that's okay to get past the hawks but that ain't cutting it if they want to get any further that's all i gotta say the hawks only shot 30 percent 36 percent from three this game but Trey Young, Kevin Horder, and Dan- Danilo Gallinari all had over 20 points. Bogey and Capella in double digits as well. And then Trey Young was 1 of 7 from 3 as the defense and Ben Simmons were all over Ice Trey. That was a story of the change of game plan. So let's talk game 3. Well, again, first game in Atlanta. I have picked Atlanta here. The Philly defense came to play. That's why they're the number one in the East. They held the Hawks to 26% from 3. That's a far cry from game one and they weren't going to let the hawks win with open threes they were able to steal home court back as tobias had 22 and 8 and joel put up 27 9 and 8 simmons did show up in the box score at least 18 and 7 and the 76ers shot 56 percent from three themselves you know after game one the hawks are spreading it around hitting all their shots looking like the utah jazz and everyone is freaking out like hey how are you going to stop those shooters I didn't expect their shooters to be able to shoot that efficiently. And the the Sixers have good enough defense to be able to change up the plan and change the pace of the series. And that's exactly what's happened after games two and three. They were up 2-1. So let's talk game four. I didn't want to say this was a must win for Atlanta, but it really is. You know, you're down 2-1 with game five in Philly. The 76ers held Atlanta to 30% from three, but it wasn't enough. This was a little bit different of a tempoed game. It controlled almost the whole game. Joel Embiid, after halftime, really looked bothered. I mean, he ended up going 0 for 12. He missed a game-winning layup that, in my opinion, they win that game with pretty much closes the series. Like, you got to play another game. But obviously, he wasn't looking like himself, right? He's dealing with this knee injury. You know, to me, it doesn't seem like a meniscus as active as he's been. Whatever the fuck the injury is, it, it it's obviously it's starting to bother him. All five starters for both teams in this game were over double digits. Trey Young led all scorers with 25 and 18, 25 points on 16 shots, 18 assists. But the big difference was Philly's 12 turnovers versus Atlanta's four. that give them more opportunities. That's how they pulled out the tight game. I do expect Philly to win the next two as long as Joel plays, right? As long as he's not sitting out. Young was also nursing a shoulder injury throughout the game. You could see him with some heat and the wraps. Supposedly he said it's not that big of a deal. Again, health, everyone's banged up. As long as Joel plays, though, I'm going with Philly, winning the next two games and closing out the series. Then we have a pretty straight shooter of a series. Suns versus Nuggets. We covered game one last week. Well, game two came around and the Suns defended home court, man. They held... MVP Nikola Jokic to 24 13 and 6 which is a small line for him in his MVP season. Michael Porter Jr and Paul Millsap both had double digits, uh, but only shot 40, uh, but the um, Nuggets only shot 40% as a team. The Suns had a team effort with six players in double digits in game 2 and CP3 looked to be getting a little healthier after the Lakers series where he injured his shoulder. He played 31 minutes and had 17 points and 15 assists. And because the team did so well, Booker only needed to put up 18 points and 10 rebounds for the win. So now the Suns are up 2-0. Game three, this is MVP time, right? This is your first game in mile high. You have the altitude. You got the home court energy. You got that big dick MVP energy. Let's see what you can do. I expected Denver to get the job done. I didn't expect Denver to win the series. Without Jamal Murray, they aren't nearly deep enough for an experienced team to go past the Suns or my opinion, even be in the second round. I wish the Jazz matched up with the Nuggets, not the Clippers, as the one seed. But hey, uh, I did expect Jokic to put the team on his back get the job done, though. Um, the issue here, though, is that Phoenix matches up well against Jokic for the most part. If you could just grind him down with the physical Jay Crowder and keep Aiton on him, who's a young, big body, it could be enough to keep your team in it. Jokic put up this crazy line, 32 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and it wasn't enough. The big problem was the other team members. The only other member that played well was Monty Morris off the bench with 21 points. So now you find yourself in a in 0-3 a slump. You're probably getting swept, right? So game four, the story of this sweep, it ended up being a sweep, is Jokic getting ejected early in the second half. After a flagrant two that looked like a ball swipe, right? They said he loaded up the swipe, ended up hitting Cameron Payne. He got kicked out of the game in a game-clinching game. The fucking MVP, and in real time, it doesn't... Yeah, sure, like, if I want to slap the ball out of your hands, I'm giving a little windup up to get some force in there, right? And, yeah, sure, he came down on Cameron. He acted the part. Been hanging out with Chris Paul too long, I'm not sure, but this is fucking bullshit. You cannot eject a player for that. Right? You cannot eject a team whose hopes are on this one game for that. And from here I was like, okay, I you know, I almost just turned the game off. Uh but actually, Denver played their best game as a team with Jokic out. Uh MPG, MPJ, Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris and Will Barton all had over 20 points. It was really nice you could tell for the Nuggets to get Will Barton back in the lineup. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't enough. Uh, Phoenix shot 51% from the field. CP3 had 37. Devin Booker, 34 to close that game out. And CP3 was vintage, baby. He was nice with it. He was hitting the mid-range. He was throwing the lobs. And he just had the game in his hands, in his control. And now they just get to sit back and watch as my Utah Jazz battle it out with the Los Angeles Clippers. Game five tomorrow. We got to get that dub. We'll talk about that series in a second way. Anyways, I'm obviously fired up. So let's talk Jazz Clippers. So we had game two, right? We talked about game one, um, the Jazz won game one pretty much because of Donovan Mitchell blossoming into a superstar. Well, game two, the best three-point shooting team in the league continued to shoot well. Utah shot 51% from three. It's hard to beat any team if you can shoot 51% from three, especially with the average, I think, 17 attempts that Utah has. So the number one overall seed in the NBA, dependent on their superstar, Spider Mitchell, 37 points in game two, and Clarkson was the flamethrower, six-man off the bench, getting 24 points. And then Mr. Ingles, stepping in for Conley in the starting lineup, also put up 19 shot, uh, 19 shots... <laughs> I hope not 19 points shooting four for seven from three. And that's a lot to overcome. Even if you are the Clippers, what I really liked seeing here was D Wade on the sidelines next to the jazz owner, majority owner D Wade's a minority owner. He was coaching up Donovan. He was giving him some advice and Donovan talked after like how big of a role D Wade has played and what he has brought to the table. That is fucking really cool to see. Uh, Rudy Gobert got a game-winning block after winning Defensive Player of the Year. Really cool to see. And they interviewed him on Scott Van Pelt after the game. And Scott was talking about, you know, how's life for you as a big man when your whole team's shooting threes? And he's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to get out there because everyone on my team could shoot threes but myself, which is totally true. Uh, But he's like, nah, maybe I'm saving my three-point for later. Winky face. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the, the team was lights out. Some people on the TNT crew were even saying that you know, maybe Donovan's performing because of what Shaq had said. Right, I brought this up in a uh, previous Business and Buckets episode. It was a Tuesday night game. Donovan had a killer game, high scoring, low other categories like assists and steals or rebounds. And Shaq said you're not a superstar. I don't think you're a top 5 player in the league and that's because you don't do the other things. Well, you know, he'd been doing the other things almost the whole year. He's improved his game and now the bubble is an anomaly. He's doing this again. The, the postseason accolades that he's going to have with not that much experience is insane, right? This guy is a certified superstar. Is that because of Shaq? I think Shaq's part of it. I think a lot of it's just the doubters and the feel that they get as Utah not being on the map, not getting televised games. The number one seed, they're not favored in shit. Like they don't get looked up as like, no one's like, ooh, the Utah Jazz. And I think that's the fire that lights them. I don't think Shaq said one thing. of oh, no oh yeah, Shaq, good job, man. That, that's not it at all. But anyways, on the Clippers' side of Game 2, PG stepped up. He had 27 points, 10 uh, rebounds, 6 assists. Kawhi definitely looked tired. He had 21 points on 17 shots, which isn't very Leonard-esque. And then Reggie Jackson, as a starter, man, just putting up. He had 29 points. But other than that, the bench didn't do much. Uh, the, the, the rotations were starting to get interesting. Uh, we're seeing Kawhi not take the game-winning shot. He gave it to Marcus Morris Game 1. That was kind of Interesting. You know, Luke Kennard had been big in these games uh, early on. And it just shows that, hey, the Clippers came off a Game 7 series. They're tired. You got to give more minutes to other people. You know, they were putting Boogie Cousins in the rotation. Uh, Terrence Mann wasn't in the rotation. It came up big for them against uh, Dallas. So going into L.A., I expected some moves. Mike Conley's still questionable. Will the Jazz move? You know, you're up 2-0. I don't expect a lot of change. But the Clippers got a change, and the first thing you think is small ball to get Rudy out of the paint. And that's exactly what happened. They started Marcus Morris. They have Zubac coming off the bench. Boogie and Rondo became not a part of the rotation, and Kennard and Mann got more minutes and became a serious part of the rotation. Uh, But the one thing that's got to come up to play if the Clippers wanted to win was defense, and they sure did. I mean, they hounded Donovan between Pat Bev, having Kawhi on him, double teaming him. And without Conley to separate, uh, break the lanes, you know, be the, the the eyes and vision on the court, outside of Donovan slashing into the hole, you don't have a lot of people that have off-ball movement who could create their own shot, create their own movement, and that that holds up some of the passing lanes, that holds up the flow that Utah's used to, and that's not like, hey, okay, Mike Conley's out, the team doesn't have enough playmakers. It's that the Clippers have pretty fucking good defense, right? So. The Jazz only shot 43% from three, which is low for them. Um, And this game was pretty lopsided. You know, Donovan still put up 30 points. He did have some ankle scares. Uh, The rest of the team didn't shoot well. So that, you know, as a Jazz fan, that's scary. Uh, Both Paul George and Kawhi scored over 30. So their two guys came to play. Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Batum, of all people, had 17. So now we got the stage set game four. Can Utah sweep one on the road? As a Jazz fan, with Conley being announced as uh, not playing again, I really didn't have a lot of faith. I was just like, all right, here we go. I'm flying to Utah for game five. I'm sure it's going to be 2 2. I didn't expect the poor effort and the blowout, though, that we saw. I mean, I don't know what the fuck the the Jazz, you know, there's been so much talk about the Jazz starting slow in the games and wanting to have a good start. There was no energy, there was no communication, uh, there was no passing. Like, there was an instance where all the the Jazz guys, which are three-point shooters, are on the arc. Rudy goes, or someone shoots a floater, bounces off the rim, which very quickly happens, and all the other guys are already running across the court. While Rudy gets the the, um, ball, almost gets a dunk, but gets fouled, shoots the free throws, it's fine. But it just shows, like, they're not crashing the glass. They're not helping defensively. They look lost in the sauce and look ready to go back to Salt Lake, which you don't want to see. You don't want to see. Uh, Kawhi and PG again over 30 this time both efficient shooting uh, Morris had 24 shooting five from six from three yeah I mean this is tough right no movement communication is tough the second half they did respond a little bit better Donovan still putting up 37 his playoff averages are insane and you know I remember 11 minutes in the fourth or down 15. They wanted to make a run. You know, a lot of this is statements. They're being physical with us. We got to be physical back. We got to show we could fight in this defensive looks. So when we go back home, like mentally, we know we can do it mentally. They know we can do it. It's a, it's a battle, but with Donovan's ankle, you can see him holding it every time he went and landed on the hole from a layup or dunk. You know, he's, he's gimping on it. I just think they probably should have let him rest a little bit more. And then Clarkson, off the bench, 8 points on 12 shots. That's not going to get a win. I don't believe anyone else on the bench scored. So tough day at the office for Salt Lake City Jazz fans. Let's talk a little bit about some headlines in the NBA. What do we know now? Now that there's been some games, now that the, the Suns are already waiting for everybody, what have we learned from this year's NBA playoffs? Well, I think the first one, Seth Curry and Tobias Harris are going to be the reason... The 76ers win an NBA championship and not Ben Simmons. I did a, tw- a Twitter poll. Do you think either are a superstar, Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, or nobody? And everyone voted Donovan Mitchell. It, it you know, made me feel not so biased as a sports, You know, trying to give you guys honest content. But Donovan Mitchell is a superstar. Ben Simmons isn't. What is the definition of a superstar? To me, superstars provide teams opportunities to win championships, and Ben Simmons isn't doing that. With Joel Hurt, when he's out, he isn't stepping up. When they need critical points, he's not making the shots. He's still not shooting threes or can't shoot threes. He can't even shoot the fucking free throw. Yes, he's a great defender. Yes, he can spread the ball out. But if you're talking about this guy being a top option on the team and superstar, he needs to deliver more than that. You have to score. It's a scoring league. Guys become superstars of scoring alone. And I just think there was a lot of questions going into this year. And I think these ones we've definitely figured out. I think we're realizing how big Conley is for the Jazz, um, especially their future if they want to compete, if they don't win this year, making another run at it, if they do win this year, being relevant. And I think that shows that they're going to resign him. And I expect him to resign there. I think we also have learned that the 76ers are going to have to blow it up if they really want to win a ship. Uh, Joel and Ben isn't going to done a good supporting role with Seth as a shooter, Tobias, you know, they did have Danny green before injury. Like that's just not going to be enough. Um, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do with Ben Simmons. In my opinion, if you, this is, if you want to win a championship, if you want to be a top three seed in the East, cause the East is weaker and you want to continually make it to the second round. Cool. Don't blow it up. If you want to win a championship, though, we got to blow something up here. um, My thought of the Nets not being able to win in their first year maybe looks true. Early in the year, I always said that the big threes, the first year they don't win. And sadly, this is going to be more so because of injuries, not because of true talent and potential. Um, But it it just shows how hard it is to win, even though you do stack a, a loaded team. I think we've also learned one thing for sure, that Detroit is the purgatory of basketball. The Pistons are legit purgatory. Just ask Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson, right? Reggie Jackson got a minimal contract, one-year contract with the Clippers. It's like a prove it and see if you can still last in this league. And he's putting up 29 points in the playoffs, right? He's really performing. Blake Griffin diving on the floor, catching lobs, dunking balls, doing all the shit we think of when we think of Blake Griffin. And why aren't they doing that for Detroit? Well, imagine being a young player who's had success, on other teams or being drafted to the Pistons, never winning shit. I'm sure there's a lack of culture there right now. I'm sure there's a lack of um, commitment. I'm sure that when you're 30 games out, you know, this is a little exaggeration, but when you're 10, 20 games out of the playoff hunt, like, you know, what are you really battling for? And now the NBA has done the play in tournament to avoid tanking. But if, if you're on Detroit, that's just purgatory. That's just what it is. These players have proven it. I've also learned this playoffs that Trey Young can be a leader of a team. You know, I wasn't really sold on that. I thought that he was just going to be a shooter, an inconsistent shooter. Uh, But the way he's, he's molded and helped this team that is honestly deep with a mix of youth, a mix of experience, a lot of shooters, he could lead the team. He's only 22. He's going to have a lot more room to grow. And especially with things like his defense, his floor vision, how he gets his team members involved and not doing too much himself. I think we've also realized that the nugget ceiling runs through Jamal Murray. He's only 24 year old, years old. As long as he can heal up with in today's age, I expect him to heal up and be fine. His continued growth is going to be the ceiling of this team, not Jokic. Jokic is going to keep doing these things for the next few years. Jamal Murray needs to be able to facilitate, to spread up uh, other looks. And as that happens, the other team members will grow around him as well. But this team's not going nowhere unless Jamal Murray goes. Right, it doesn't matter how good Michael Porter Jr. can be. That's not enough. It's all dependent on Jamal Murray. How about CP Three? You know, I knew he could be a leader. He could transform a team. But I did not know he could ball out at this level. Right, the shoulder injury with LA, but the way he's performing again against a non-defensive team in the Nuggets, non-defensive at all. But the the things that he's doing on the court, off the court for the Suns, you just got to keep giving props, and this man just continues to impress. I'm also learning that the Suns aren't a team you want to mess with. Uh, they don't have a, lot of ton- uh, a ton of weaknesses when healthy. You know, Coming into the playoffs, you could say, hey, maybe their depth. Maybe DeAndre Ayton's not going to get it done. These guys all keep delivering, and then they have the, the gritty cog that everybody wants and Jay Crowder, who left Miami, a team that made the NBA Finals last year. This team with uh, with Chris Paul at the lead, Devin Booker on his side, is going to be nasty. And that some of the youthful players are only going to get better. DeAndre A and uh, Mikael Bridges, more playoff experience, more experience in general, improved play. Things are going to be interesting for this Suns team. And you can see their fan base is really tuned in as well. The the video of that kid like shh, pulling his jersey off and freaking out. Uh, if the Jazz beat the Clippers. I'm interested in going to a Western conference game in Phoenix. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And to be honest, as in a, being an opposing fan, I'd be a little terrified in that stadium. We also know that the East will continually be up for grabs. The Knicks, the heat, the Celtics all weren't that impressive this year. It's anyone's race. Uh, a pretty mediocre team, such as the Knicks this year, can be in the middle of that, the, the Eastern conference. I've also learned this year. And in the playoffs at the West will be continued to be elite. The top, top nine teams all will keep their core, will it be improving their core to injuries or people coming back unless there's any crazy superstar trades. So the West is going to be a beast in itself. A lot of teams are sliding by because of injuries of AD and other players. Um, but yeah, the, the West is going to be I- interesting the next few years to say the least, especially with a lot of the youthful talent, the John Morants, the Devin Bookers, um, Clay Thompson coming back. There's just lots of action in the West. And much like the Sixers, the Blazers, I already talked about it, but we've learned they need to blow it up if they want to win a ship. Uh, I love CJ McCollum. I love Damian Lillard together. I love what they got going. But unless Zach Collins comes out and becomes an NBA superstar, that core is not going to win a championship. And, you know, Carmelo might not be the problem. Him coming off the bench is actually a pretty great option and the efficiency he's been scoring. But if they truly want to win a championship in Portland, they got to figure out a different core behind their superstar Damian Lillard. And who knows if he even wants to stay, right? With the the whole IG post after the season, who knows? Um, I'm not betting on Damien going anywhere, though. I also put up a Twitter poll on, would you rather see him join a superstar team or stay and commit and try to win a ship in Portland? And only one person voted on the stay uh, outside of myself. Everyone else wants to see him join a superstar. So apparently fans want the superstar teams. Uh, but yeah, I would love Dame to stay in Portland. I would love to see him, you know, make something out of that team. And he has, right? He, they've been the underdogs. They've gone to other rounds and upset people. Uh, but there's a lot of difference of uh, being a decent team, getting an upset special in the first round to winning a championship. I think we have realized through this playoffs that Luca is the next face of the NBA. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with next year with or without Porzingis. But this guy is the next LeBron in my opinion, right? He can do everything and anything And he's still so young. Uh, Yeah, he's the next face of the NBA. I don't know if I learned, but if anything, we have more validation that Kawhi is still a top three player in the league and is elite on both sides of the ball. When he uh, guards the superstars, things change, right? Everything was all fine and dandy in Dallas world until Kawhi was on Luka. Everything is fine and dandy for the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell, except you don't have Conley and Kawhi gets put on Donovan. Um, So he is still elite. There's a reason why Kawhi is such a big name in everyone's household. I think the rest of the Clippers uh, playoffs is going to determine if this is pandemic Paul or playoff P. Um, I'm sure Paul George has seen those headlines the past few games in LA. He's really turned things around. If he could continue that pace of play, get through the Utah jazz, potentially the Clippers or the Suns into the NBA championship I don't think he's going to have to hear the bullshit no more. Uh, But if he doesn't make that happen, Pandemic Paul uh, and all the other nicknames and heckler names will definitely be around for a lot longer. This is their chance, PG. And then we've also learned that the Lakers, I've talked about this before, live through Anthony Davis's health. It doesn't matter what level LeBron's at at this age. It's not the, the peak that we're used to. It doesn't matter who you surround him with. If AD's not healthy, that team's not going to win a championship. You know, there's not a lot of superstars available as free agents. Maybe some crazy shit happens. It's L.A. It's LeBron. Who knows? But it all comes down to Mr. A.D.'s health. Those are some main things that I've learned this NBA playoffs, this NBA season. And we're only barely getting out of the second round. So let's go. Let's talk baseball. Some weird things going on in baseball. Not weird, but some very big headlines and intriguing things. Any MLB player caught with foreign substances is now suspended 10 games. We just had Tyler Glass now get injured with a UCLA, UCL injury, slight tear. He wants to avoid Tommy John, right? Shohei did that. You got the ejections ended up needing Tommy John later. I don't recommend that. I don't think that's a proven thing yet, but the big thing that ties these two headlines together is glass. Now had said today in an impressor that, yeah, I played 80 something innings with the substance, right? I was used and dependent on that. You all of a sudden take that away from me. I'm doing different things within my body mechanics and routine. That led to my injury. So let me break this down a little bit. Obviously, MLB pitchers depend on substances, and I'm sure Tyler Glass now is not the only one. We also know that the MLB's batting average is at one of its worst this year with the new balls and the substances. And now people feel like they're dependent on that because it's been a part of the game. How do we fix this? It all comes down to baseball and what their vision is. They make so many drastic changes to player performance, especially for hitters, which is already a hard fucking job, and pitching, which is already a hard job. They got to determine how much bullshit are they going to allow, or are they going to allow it or not? Again, sign stealing. You know, this has been a big conniption. This is, oh, man, the Astros, the Red Sox are cheating everyone's fucking cheating it's baseball if you're a baseball fan like i'm a baseball fan you know there's cheating every damn team is cheating it's who gets caught so the mlb needs to decide do we want to allow things like steroids yes or no no okay then you're super fucked if you do it or you're super okay right because baseball has so many different things sign stealing substances of pitchers steroids that they've been battling through, they need to either eliminate them or just let it happen. Okay, fuck it. Everyone, you could use substances in your pitches, right? Okay, every baseball hitter can take steroids. I mean, they got to figure this out. And I think the future of the game is very dependent on it because they're having an influx of youthful talent that I think the MLB hasn't seen for a long time at the volume that they do. And they need to let these guys know exactly what's happening. They're never going to grow into a great career if you change the ball every year. We allow substances and we don't. We do, you know, we do these things and we don't and we change it mid-season. You got to start the season clear-cut rules and let that season go and let multiple seasons happen like that. The more changes, the more bullshit you add, the more confusion to the players, the lack of quality game, the lack of growth and audience growth you're going to have. That's my two cents. Also, <laughs> Max Scherzer back on the IL with a groin injury. I hate to see it. Lots of big names and injuries. The White Sox struck again with an injury bug. Nick Madrigal, who's having a great season, is out for the year. Uh, Joe Madden saying Otani can hit and pitch in the All-Star game if he wants. He's obviously getting votes as a pitcher and one of the, I think, leading the DH in, in votes right now. And he said if he wants to do the home run derby, just let me know. Could you imagine Otani hitting and pitching in an All-Star game and hitting the home run derby? Woo! I hope so. I hope so as long as he's healthy. As long as he's healthy, I don't care. We're getting towards that second half point where teams got to determine if they're going to be sellers or buyers or in between. Team like the Twins that I thought would be a wild card hopeful. Maybe they'll turn themselves into sellers. They got guys like Jose Barrios who could really help a team. The Angels. (laughs) Uh, Nelson Cruz who's still crushing balls. How about my Angels? They've been on a little win streak of late. They have some hot guys right now. Max Stassi, the catcher. Justin Upton. Maybe some of their one-year pitchers. So there's lots of intriguing things happening these next few weeks. Where team and teams are determining what kind of pivot they want to make. Because if the team like the Angels, who are right at 500, continually win and find themselves in a wild card spot, maybe they buy pitching or try to do a trade for somebody like Jose Barrios. Little standings update before we talk about last weekend series and this weekend. The Rays now have a three-game lead over the Red Sox. The Yankees and Blue Jays are eight and a half and nine games respectively back of the Rays. So the Rays is taking the lead from the Sox. The Athletics are two and a half games ahead of the Astros, keeping a little cushion of room there. The Mets have a four game lead over the Phillies in that tough NL East division. The Braves are five and a half back. The Brewers and Cubs are tied for the lead in the NL Central. That's going to be a barn burner and a fun one as the Gi- or the Cardinals are slipping back a little bit. The Giants are one game ahead of the Dodgers as they've been uh, catching some more wins. And they're really preparing for a strong second half now that they're healthy, getting Bellinger back. And the Padres now are four games back. This division's folding out a little bit more as I expected it to be. And then the Indians and Padres are right there for wild card positioning right outside. Gotta see those Padres in the playoffs. Want to see Tatis and squad there, but who knows? So in last week's matchups, the Cubs swept the Cardinals and outscored them 17-7 to behind Zach Davies and Kyle Hendricks' performances on the mound. I was going to do a deep dive into the Cardinals and, and some of their youthful uh, hitters until they yeah got swept and fell down the rankings. Uh, so maybe next time, Cardinals, maybe next time. Uh, the Mets beat the Padres 2-1 to in another uh, series victory and rematch from the weekend before. The Indians sweep the Mariners. Tough loss for the Mariners. Big for the Indians right outside that wild card. The Blue Jays beating the Red Sox, the Buffalo Blue Jays. As Vladdy Jr., man, just destroying balls out of this atmosphere, he is leading the league in home runs. And then the Athletics swept the Royals, a wild card hopeful. Sets the stage for this weekend. We got Yankees and Athletics, two AL teams, the Athletics in the lead, the Yankees trying to find their way through, find some sense of offense. The Braves uh, ho- uh, play the Cardinals. That's again a Sunday night baseball game. The Cardinals get two Sunday nights back to back, wanting a different outcome this week. The Red Sox host the Royals, little AL battle, and then a battle of two top AL teams. We got the White Sox and the Astros. That'll be a doozy. In the NL, we got Phillies versus Giants, and then Reds versus Padres for some exciting series coming up. And we will wrap episode 29 with some NHL, with some Chell. We got Bruins. We got Islanders last week, game six. In New York, the Islanders weren't letting that go back to Boston. This team continually surprises me and impresses. And most of it is behind the goalie play. Varlamov staying solid, only giving up two goals in game six. Both from Brad Marchand, who had a hell of a playoff series. He scored his seventh playoff goal via power play in uh, the eighth that game as well. But the Islanders had a heyday as Brock Nelson scored his fifth and sixth playoff goals. And Kyle Palmieri scored his seventh. Obviously, they ended up winning in six, which will set them up um, versus Tampa Bay, which we'll talk in a second. We had Colorado versus Las Vegas. My Avs just not able to hang through after a pretty impressive 2-0 start. The Avs outshot Vegas in Game 5, but couldn't break Marc-Andre Fleury and in his, in his uh, chemistry. Brandon Saad got his 7th playoff goal, but Mark Stone ended my Avs faith in overtime with his 5th playoff goal. You know, really what I saw was the physicality that after Game 1, really, the second half of Game 2, they really started being a lot more physical with Colorado's front line. And with the great goalie play, that was just enough for them to advance. Uh, you know, I the goalie had a pretty good year for the Avs. I'm not too sure what they'll change. Then there's the NHL redraft. They have a lot of youthful talent, though. I'm sure they'll be okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Vegas' crowd went nuts. Their physicality was a difference. All props to the Golden Knights. So that sets us up. We had Tampa Bay and Carolina game five. We talked about the previous four last week. Carolina outshot Tampa and Andre Vasco. Oh, Jesus, his name's, I forget, Vasilevsky, blanked the Hurricanes. And how about Braden Point? He stayed hot with his eighth playoff goal via power play to close out the Canes. So that gives us New York and Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, and Montreal. I don't think I had any of these teams this far besides Tampa Bay. Well, Sunday we had game one. What an amazing game one with New York and Tampa Bay. Varlamov, man, just was the better goalie. New York stole game one on the road. I couldn't believe it. Braden Point scoring another goal via power play. That's his ninth playoff goal. It's not enough as they find themselves 0-1, and they actually play tonight in game two in Tampa as they look to defend home ice. Then we also got Las Vegas versus Montreal. This game one wasn't as close. The Golden Knights just really went to work. I figured maybe they were going to be a little tired from the Av series and it didn't look like that was the case. It more looked like Montreal had been chilling too much and a little rusty in their first game. Um, they scored the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights, scored two goals in the second period and ended up taking the victory four to one. I expect Vegas to win five, roughly five games in the series, maybe six. Game two is tomorrow, Wednesday, when this pod comes out. And then, yeah, I'm going to go with the winner of New York versus Tampa as this year's Stanley Cup champions. I had picked Tampa Bay uh, to play against the Avs in the championship with my Avs winning. Sadly, another second round exit. But hey, Las Vegas, or uh, yeah, Las Vegas, Tampa Bay, New York, even Montreal, we got some good teams. You got to love the NHL playoffs. You never know. And a couple other um, sports news hitters. We have some soccer action. USA Soccer beat Puerto Rico after the big up, uh, come from behind victory against Mexico before the Concacaf Gold Cup, and then the Euros are currently starting. Lots of different action. I don't watch a lot of Euro soccer. I wear literally wait till the World Cup. But hey, lots of damn action going on in the sports world. So tune in. Uh, we also had the French Open. Rafael Nadal, Djokovic semifinals because uh, Nadal is ranked three. And what a fucking match. That was a long match back and forth. Nadal had the early momentum. Djokovic got the momentum later and ended up winning uh, the match. As me, a Nadal fan, I hate to see it. The king of clay, Nadal on the clay court, couldn't get the job done. Um, Joker gets another victory, another head-to-head versus Nadal. But I gotta love good tennis. I just love good sports, right? Great matchups, two legends. I was tuning in all day while I was working. It was back and forth. I couldn't keep my eyes off this new IMAX screen in that match. But hey, that's episode 29. Thanks again, Fueled Supplements, Josh Moore and crew for keeping us going. If you're looking for supplements, you're looking to trim, you're looking to help with recovery, you're just looking for protein, some pre workout, you name it, they got it. Don't forget promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. FueledSupplements.com. Check them out. If you're getting supplements, Support the the small business. Fuck the corporations. All right. Episode 30 next week. And then next week, we'll also have business episode six. Tune in or tune out. All right. See you guys next week.